Welcome to After All, a cross-generational podcast dedicated to discovering and rediscovering the social, political, and personal impact of the Mary Tyler Moore Show. I'm one of your hosts, Ariel Fisher. And I'm Sylvia McCon. And welcome to the show, guys. This week, not unlike last week, it's another episode that is very much a uh, exhibiting the sitcom-y aspect of the Mary yes. Tyler Moore Show. Because let us not forget, while it was a landmark and... And inevitably one of the greatest television series ever committed to television. <laughs> it was still a sitcom, so yes. it's sticky. It's uh, a little silly and a little fun. And this week, keep your guard up. Mary helps out a luckless former pro football player who wants to be WJM's new sportscaster. He's going to have to compete with Lou's wife, apparently. <laughs> uh, Mr. Grant, mm. has the sportscaster's job been filled yet? Nope, but it won't be open for long. Everybody in the state wants that job. And why not? All you have to do is stand in front of a camera, read the scores for two and a half minutes, and collect 20 grand a year. I'm trying to figure out a way I can throw the job to my wife. Do you think that Frank Corelli might be any good? No. But what if he came in an audition and, I mean, just really... Knocked you right out. I mean, what if he was terrific? You know, that's not a bad idea. You mean seeing Frank Corelli? No, my wife. <laughs> if I put her in a sports jacket, pull her hair back. So, yeah, it... And with a first stringer. And with, with a, a first stringer. With a, a champion uh, um, football player. Yes, played by Timothy Brown as himself, who I know nothing about sports. So, aside from the fact that Same. his name is Timothy Brown and he's a very attractive man, I, there's nothing left to say. <laughs> so, but yes, so we had this week. We were we were under the assumption that it was actually a different character coming in. It was uh, the actor's name is John Shook, who played Frank Corelli, who is this man who's come in who. Formerly new Lou, who doesn't seem to remember him either, no. and he's trying to find his way. So the uh, the character that we were thinking of last week is Gord Howard, who becomes the weatherman. He's in 13 episodes, played by John Amos. So we're not quite That's there right. yet, but we will be. For the time being, though, John Shook as Frank Corelli. A bit of a... A bit of a, you know, down on his luck, but kind of lovable... I don't want to use the word loser because it's very unkind. He's a bit of a lovable schlub. A lovable schlub who is kind of loud and 
um, awkward and um, uh, you kind of want to help him to get on his feet but it sounds like he's tried so many different things and yeah. nothing has worked for him and you can see why because he's not very good at doing the things that he sets out to do but I think he he feels somehow constrained by the fact that he was a former football player therefore former football players do these kinds of things they Um, either they you know first stringers go on to own restaurants that's right or bars or bars or become sportscasters right and so that's why he's gone on to this and you find you know he was always a second stringer so he doesn't really have these great stories to tell and he can't really keep anybody interested and now he's working in insurance and everybody's kind of staying away because insurance men are boring right and he's a little too eager he's so he's very puppy dog he's very puppy dog very lost puppy dog yeah but what's interesting comes in when he's he's loaned mary this tape which i guess is like a transcript for a book he wants to write because again what else do you do but, you know, write a book about your exploits. But when you your exploits to, aren't interesting... You have to write on the ride on the coattails of your success. But his success is so meager yeah. that everything that follows really doesn't have a lot of staying power. Well, exactly. And in listening to this tape, you know, Rhoda's telling her, Mary, you can't help everybody. You, you just can't do it. There's nothing here. Like, you've done the most you can. And then you hear him you essentially hear him get cut from the team and yeah. he has to hand in his hand in his playbook and and that's just it there's nothing else left and you really start to feel for him and it, the episode does well it is still a, a very sticky episode like it's very funny it's very cute it kind of raises an interesting concept of how we define ourselves by what we do and the jobs we hold mm-hmm. and Especially for men, I think there's this real preoccupation with you must be a provider. Like whether or not you have a family, the idea is that men should have a career. Yes, you You have have to have a career. Men hold down careers and they become something and they become somebody through that something. Right. And that's what they're defined by. So he's, you know, he's wanted to be in sports presumably his whole life, but he's never been very good at it. And Mm -hmm. eventually he's now he's just too old. And he's not a very good newscaster, so he can't do that. And he doesn't have the money to open a bar. Mm -hmm. And nobody would be interested if he owned a restaurant because he was only a second stringer. That's right. So what do you do? I know. And And the women really try and help him to kind of not be constrained by his own ideas and I guess his own experiences with other uh, uh, sports figures and what they went on to do and he's comparing himself to Frank Gifford who mm-hmm. was from former football player and then became a sportscaster and became very famous yeah. um, and made piles of cash um, and so the, the women actually kind of play a, a supportive role as a friend mm-hmm. in what kind of comes across as a really truly a, a platonic friendship between Rhoda and Mary and Frank. Yeah. Uh, to the point where he... He uh, uh, he comes over yeah. with the largest slab of meat I have ever seen in my life. Yeah, half a cow. And I was like, I, you know, oh, you, you, you girls have been so nice to me that I thought I'd, I'd cook you dinner. Oh, you can cook. Well, I'm Italian. Of course I can cook. What are you going to make us? Steak. Steak. <laughs> <laughs> so... You know, and he, he's in the kitchen and he's messing around and he's leaning into Mary and they're setting it up for this, you know, 
oh, he's going to be coming on to her and he totally wants to, you know, get with Mary, but... But and, not so. But not so. But not so, which is kind of a refreshing surprise. Yeah. It's, it, you know, he turns around and, ah, you're too skinny for me. I like girls with a little bit more meat on their bones. And, <laughs> you know, leaves that at that. So there's never any question about whether or not the, the motives are different, which also kind of alleviates a little bit of pressure for the character from Mary. You know, she's not being put in this position where she has to pretend to be a love interest or be a love interest or awkwardly get out of being a love interest. Mm-hmm. You know, like that's just... They, they very quickly dispatch with that as being, you know, a red herring in the episode that, oh, yeah. this is where it's going. She's going to have to break this guy's heart. No. In fact, he's he's just a friend. And it's, yeah. it is kind of nice. And I, and I think even though we look at this episode as being um, not of uh, kind of a, a feminist profile, the fact that men and women can be just friends yeah. <laughs> without the sex getting in the way. You realize, of course, that we can never be friends. Why not? What I'm saying is, and this is not a come on in any way, shape, or form, is that men and women can't be friends because the sex part always gets in the way. That's not true. I have a number of men friends and there is no sex involved. No, you don't. Yes, I do. No, you don't. Yes, I do. You only think you do. You're saying I'm having sex with these men without my knowledge? No, what I'm saying is they all want to have sex with you. They do not. Do too. They do not. Do too. How do you know? Because no man can be friends with a woman that he finds attractive. He always wants to have sex with her. So you're saying that a man can be friends with a woman he finds unattractive? No, you pretty much want to nail him too. What if they don't want to have sex with you? Doesn't matter. Because the sex thing is already out there, so the friendship is ultimately doomed, and that is the end of the story. Well, I guess we're not going to be friends then. Guess not. That's too bad. You were the only person that I knew in New York. Without the sex getting in the way, without the obligation that women serve certain functions in yeah. men's lives or anything like that, you know, it's, it's... I think in this case, she, both the women are trying to help a guy who's down on his luck in a, in a way that, that um, transcends gender. Yeah, and, and also with the... I keep thinking that this is a really feminist episode in that the basic tenets of femini- of feminism are, you know, despite what all the MRAs out there like to think, it's not about man bashing. It's not about man hating. It's not about women are superior or anything like that. It's about equality. Yeah. And it strikes me as a very feminist notion to acknowledge that not all men are destined to be these you know, prototypical, gruff, career-driven individuals. They're not all, you know, not all men are athletes. Nope. Not all men are... Are entrepreneurs. Are entrepreneurs. Who own restaurants. No. And he, what winds up happening, he, you know, he's sick of the weather in Minneapolis. He's, he's tired of the snow and the cold, and he wants to be in Florida. So he leaves, and he goes to Florida, and that's basically where the episode ends. And then Mary and Rhoda get this tape from him, his, his letter, the first letter he's mm-hmm. sent since moving back home, essentially, and he's teaching kids how to play football and they think he's a god because they don't because they don't care about the stats they know that he's played in the major leagues and to that that's like oh my that's god good enough that's so yeah. he feels fulfilled in doing other things and he's working with children which is at the time especially very much a you know that's a woman's, women's job work. yeah and you know he finds his purpose i think that's the big thing for him too as you see this 
kind of atypical portrayal of men for the time where he's trying to define himself by what he does, but he's mm-hmm. trying to find meaning in it. Mm-hmm. He's numbed out by doing, you know, by selling cars and selling, and insurance. selling insurance. And he never, you know, he loved playing football. He was just never good at it. Right. So how do you do what you love when no one will let you? And he finds a way. Right. And it's it's refreshing it's, in it's, a way. It's very, it's sweet and it's endearing. And you see him as kind of... Um, I guess for for his day, he would have been considered a failure. Oh, completely. Yeah. Because he didn't succeed in becoming what a typical male would have become mm-hmm. after his uh, pro football career. Exactly. Um, but what he's doing, obviously, is fulfilling his desire to um, be part of a larger, uh, uh, you know... Be, be part of society in a meaningful way. Mm-hmm. Uh, and as you say, almost in a feminine way because he's helping children yeah. fulfill their potential. Um, so he's he's a very sweet guy, you know, even though he comes across as being, you know, he's, he's a big bear of a man and mm-hmm. he pounds a giant steak <laughs> and uh, he speaks loudly. Oh, he's, but, he's loud and boisterous and everything is big all the time. That's just the way he is. But he drinks milk. But he drinks milk yeah. instead of coffee. <laughs> That's right. He's, a, he's uh, a sweetie. He is such a sweet. And it, it struck a big chord with me, actually, more than I was expecting it to, just because, you know, I've, in terms of me and what I want to do with my life, I've never really known totally what I wanted to do within the last five or six years or so. I've been like, no, I'm going to be a film critic. This is what I'm going to do. Mm-hmm. And that's proving difficult. Because let's face it, print is dying and internet is so highly democratized that it makes it really difficult to get a word in edgewise and have it actually matter and not fade into the distance. True. You know, the written word has very little sticking power these days. Unfortunately. Yeah. yeah. But I, I've i always wanted to do something that felt important, at least to me. Something, and what does, what does important, how do you define important? Well, that's the big question, right? Yeah. Because what, yeah. how do you decide what to do that will A, pay the bills and B, fulfill you? True. And because especially at this time, not this, our present time, but at their present time, rather, in, the 19, yes. in 1970, you didn't get a job to define you as a human being. No. It was not, that wasn't. The, the purpose of a job was to make a living. Absolutely. You, you know, you get a job, you get married, you support your family, and... As a man. And so on goes the circle. And for women, it was never an obligation to do anything that was fulfilling. You just popped out kids and kept the home. Yep, pretty much. Now, with respect to men, I think if you have a legacy of, um, let's say, in my family, we have four generations of doctors, for yes. example... And, you know, I'll use Carrie as an example of that because that was uh, almost an expectation of mm-hmm. of his family. His father was a doctor. Uh, I don't know about his father's father, but his father was a doctor. And so it was kind of a, um, without being said, the expectation is you will go on to higher education in some professional manner. Mm-hmm. And whether he chose to do that or not, it was, it was, that was the path of least resistance. Yeah. And two of his three siblings followed in those in, in those, those footsteps, footsteps as well, well, which 
Jinx. <laughs> for those who just to to clarify, Carrie is my stepfather, my mother's husband, and he grew up. He is now a retired doctor. He was Correct. an orthopedic surgeon for many many years, and then chief of surgery at a at a local hospital in our area. Mm-hmm. And yeah, his father was his father was a doctor. His brothers are doctors. And it well, and his sister and his is a sister is a doctor, <laughs> and that's a that's a whole that's a that's an episode onto itself uh, yeah. because uh, she certainly she's eighty six no she's eighty seven now, and so when she became a doctor, it was very rare. But oh, yeah. uh, so he graduated. Interestingly, he graduated from medical school in nineteen sixty eight. So okay. just before, so this was kind of the era, and he uh, was just coming into the workforce. Yeah. Uh, in, at this time in the so, path of least resistance you know, defined and now and it's interesting because now in retrospect in 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 retirement he has to learn to redefine his role in society and who he is because being a doctor is probably the biggest of the big guns in terms of how you define yourself as a as a human being right i save lives what do you do for a living <laughs> well right and right. there's that element of masculinity that's attached yes. to it and male yes. pride and yes. ego and all of those all things. Of that's, all of that that goes with it and how society views, let's say, that profession. Mm-hmm. Um, and there are many others that I think kind of go into that role. But the idea of a career as opposed to a job. Yeah, it's not like he's, you know, all the, I was going to say, it's not like he's a mechanic, but that would be a career path as well. Yeah, but he kind of is a mechanic. He kind, he's, he's a, a human, human mechanic. mechanic. <laughs> yes, that's what he, <laughs> jinx again, jinx again. That's how he actually jokingly defines what he did. Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, he's told me a million times about some of the things that he does, and he just thinks of human body parts as, you know, gears and, and cogs and, and yep. in a machine, because yep. if you don't, it's a little gross. <laughs> there's blood and guts there's lots of it. blood and guts but getting back to yes to the, away uh, from the blood and guts towards uh, the mary tyler moore yes and to, and towards our our friend frank corelli and his uh failed attempts at at careers which um i think in those days and and even in today's i think in today's world both men and women have a lot more options and yeah. and you were talking about your um your current situation where you you started off saying that you wanted to be a um, a film critic and now you might have to think in broader terms about those skills that are required for film criticism can they be expanded into something else yeah because the world is changing well exactly and it, it's the world is changing and i am changing and as i as, as I grow up, you know, I'm almost Mary's age in this, right? I'm yeah. I'm coming into kind of this new world of defining myself on my own terms in a way that I don't think I ever had the confidence to. Mm-hmm. And in a way that I think Frank in this episode didn't have the confidence to. He didn't have the, the wherewithal to. True. You know, he knew what he wanted to do from when he was young and that was it. It was tunnel vision, right? You get you get stuck in a in a yeah, in in a way, in a mindset that doesn't give you the freedom and the broader outlook to say, this isn't working for me. Mm-hmm. Let's think more creatively How about can I what use to do this? with my life. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And I mean and it's interesting because in trying to do stuff like that, even just for myself, again, you know, we talk about the social, the political, and the personal f- impact of this show. Can you see that going back and forth all over yeah, the place? Just a little it's bit. Working, it's a bit it's of a through line. Yeah. But it's, you know, I've 
changed the way that I write. I've started exploring different techniques and different abilities. And it's it's just really difficult learning to get out of your own way. And I think that's very much what we see in this in the only episode that this character exists in the series. This is the only episode that Frank Corelli is... Corelli? Corelli? Corelli. 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 The only episode that he is in as this character, but we see him kind of work through that and try and come to terms with this idea of who am I really? And how important is it to be defined by this role of pro athlete? How Mm -hmm. can I find what defines me for me as opposed to what defines me in the eyes of the world because that's that's also the problem right you feel like a failure you feel like a failure because the because you think the world first of all because you think the world cares yeah. and <laughs> and it's such a mistake the world the doesn't world give a really shit it doesn't care everyone everyone is you know navel gazing and not looking at what you're doing with your life and uh, uh, so how he defines himself through his own eyes and through the eyes of the world and I think he can put the eyes of the world aside mm-hmm. and redefine himself through his own eyes in a way that's meaningful to him. Well, exactly. Did you ever find yourself in a position like that? Where All you the were... time. Yeah? Oh, please. Well, you initially, <laughs> you wanted to be an architect when this you were This is younger. true. Yeah. I wanted to be an architect because I loved art and I loved um, science and math. And so I'm a geek in all directions. <laughs> and um, An equal opportunity offender. An equal opportunity geek. And... Um, Thanks to my dearly departed father, who kind of poo-pooed the idea of uh, a daughter who didn't have the right contacts. I don't think he ever said, you don't have the skills or you don't have the intelligence. It was more, your dad's not an architect, and so you're never going to make it in that career because girls generally don't unless Mm -hmm. they have contacts, unless they have family um, connections. uh, Schlep. Yeah. And I didn't have schlep because my family had no schlep in anything. So... Because um, they were all immigrants. Because we were all immigrants. So... <laughs> um, and, I, and I didn't know what else to do. So I went to university for uh, about six months doing kind of general arts. And I had no direction. It was awful. And then I got into kind of a pretty bad depression. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I, I, I quit school at that point. Got into therapy, got got into antidepressants, and um, then um, worked just at a local. Actually, I worked at collegiate sports in Yorkdale, which no longer exists, yeah. and that was kind of a, a fun job temporarily. Um, and then decided by fluke, I bumped into somebody on the street who mentioned to me about being a lab tech, and about that it would it was it was a two year program. And it involves science and da 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 and whatever. And I went, yeah, that that sounds good. So <laughs> it was not a well thought out uh, career path, but as it turned out, it was a very good career path for me. It appealed to my clinical um, analytical side, so that's what I ended up doing. But then things changed. No more than with you now, um, things that out of my control ended up leaving me needing to find a how do you say this to readjust my sales and to do something different Mm -hmm. because after a time 
my lab got outsourced. So I no longer had that as an option. And you had to readapt. So I had to readapt. So I did. And then after a time, I readapted out of because I wanted to, because I wasn't happy doing what I was doing. So then I became a geek of a different nature by being a system analyst. <laughs> so I've had kind of three major careers in my life, all of which have been very good. And you learn from each one and you, you the s- skills truly are um, transferable. transferable. They really, yeah. really are. And, and you, you, you gain from one, you bring to the next thing and you gain from that and you bring to the next thing. And by the end of your career, where I am now, you kind of feel like, I have so much knowledge. I, I have forgotten more than I actually now possess. Yeah. Um, well, and it's, been, it's been good. It's strange to think about that too, because when you're in the middle of it, like I feel grotesquely unqualified for any job, <laughs> like any and every job. I have a whole bunch of skills. I am very, very capable in just about anything and everything you throw at me. So long as it doesn't have to do with numbers. I'm, this is why I'm a writer. I'm afraid of numbers. But I didn't I didn't get that from you, unfortunately. But it you know, it, but that's not necessarily true. And I think that's a lot of also what we see here in Frank is this fear of what I can't do as opposed to acknowledging what you can. Absolutely. You know, you just see the you all you see is the negative space instead of acknowledging what the what all is the taking up the positive space there. Yeah. And that you've done X, Y, or Z, and you're a people person, and you're boisterous, and you're and you're fun, and you're gregarious, and all of these great and things. And gee, you could teach little kids, and you'd be great at and it. And you'd be great at it, and they'd yeah. love you for it. Yeah. You know, and, yeah. and and all of those concepts, right? Mm-hmm. What what makes us a person? It's something that we don't generally allow ourselves the luxury to think about. I think you know, back in that time, as women, we had. The double-edged sword of luxury where you know we had all the time in the world to think about who we were but we had none of the resources available at our disposal to be able to be those people no. and none of the rights at our disposal to be those people well i think you had a choice of either or and and not even a choice the default was get married and have kids yep. and stay home yep and the the also ran uh option is if you didn't get married then you'd have to work because you had to support yourself in usually typical, I don't know if do we ever find out what Mary what Rhoda works at. Maybe later yeah, on, she's mentioned it a couple of times and it kind of in passing. She's a window dresser. That's right. At like a makey uppy department store right, that's supposed right, right. to be like Macy's or something. Right. Yeah. So that's yeah. and that's what she does. So typical, a relatively typical female occupation. Exactly. And and Phyllis is the stay at home mom. Right. So you have that. Yes. It's covering the spectrum. You have Mary, That's the right. single professional. You have Rhoda, the begrudgingly single yes. working gal. The aspiring wife. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. To an extent, yeah. yeah. I mean, I don't know what happens on Rhoda. Does she wind up uh, getting married? Uh, you'll just have to wait to find out, oh, won't you? That means we're going to have to do a crossover episode. Ay, the worlds are going to collide. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But next week's episode, we get to meet Rhoda's mommy. <laughs> we do. <laughs> Ida Morgan Stern is coming to town. And I'm kind of excited for that. It has a pretty Ooh. high rating. Everybody seems to really like this episode. I seem to recall a face. A face? For a face, Ida? A face for Ida. Show me a face for Ida. <laughs> so next week on the show, we're talking about support your local mother. Uh, Mary puts Rhoda's visiting mother up in her apartment when Rhoda refuses to see her. Speaking of faces. So... <laughs> It, it this should be interesting and 
Ida Morgenstern, Rhoda's mother, played by Nancy Walker. Right. Are you, do you recall Nancy Walker? Yes, I do. Yes, I do. Was Nancy Walker on the Golden Girls? Am I, am I seeing that correctly? I'm not sure. Is she may possible? very well have she been. She may very well have been. Probably in a, a, a guest appearance of some kind. But that's her. Right. Okay. And no. it all comes back? It does. But it's not the face I was thinking of. But, okay. But, but I do know that face. So this should be interesting. I'm yes, assuming she's a very traditional balabust. I imagine so. She, so we get to see That's it. Rhoda's Jewish roots. We get to meet yes. the booby. The booby. The booby. So tune in next week. We'll be talking about Ida's. We'll be talking about Ida Morgenstern. The booby. The booby of Rhoda. We'll see Except what they. She's not a booby. She's, she's a mom. She's, you know, she's, she's a mom. She's a mom. Yeah, she, she probably is dying to be a booby. So, so I, I'd, I'd imagine that's going to be in there somewhere. I suspect. When are you going to find a nice Jewish boy and settle down and have yes. some kids? I'm yes. dying to be a booby. Yes. She's felling. But <laughs> so thanks for tuning in, guys. Don't forget you can find us on Twitter and Instagram and Facebook at After All Podcast. You can also email us at afterallpodcast at gmail.com and tune into the show on all major podcasting networks. You can find us on Google Play Music, Stitcher, the Pocket Cast app, SoundCloud, and of course iTunes. So subscribe to the show on iTunes, share us on iTunes. Every subscription on iTunes helps us become a little bit more visible so that more people can find the show. And we'll catch you next time.